they should embrace a blame-free exploration into why certain best practices are not happening or are not working. We only ask that they have a systematic and disciplined approach, that they use certain tools so that we make sure that they consider everything. So we develop those tools as a method of problem solving. It's a scientific approach. Hello, and welcome back to episode five of Wab Chat, a podcast from White and Black Limited. Thank you for joining me. My name is Sam Ridgway. And if you haven't heard before now, Wab Chats is, is really all about hearing from those in the White and Black network, friends of White and Black, about their respective experiences, journeys, and lessons that they've learned along the way, be that in academia, in business, in sports. And as lawyers and as business people, we believe that there are experiences and knowledge to be found in all sorts of places that are applicable and hopefully useful in our own working environments. And that's what we want to tap into with our guests in these conversations. And today um, we have a long-standing friend of the firm. Kareem Sikat is CEO and chairman of Oxford Engineering. And Kareem actually gave the speech at White and Black's launch event over 15 years ago now uh, down at the Said Business School. And whilst I'll leave it to you, Kareem, to give a proper overview, Oxford Engineering, which has been described by a previous Secretary of State for Trade and Industry as a jewel in the crown of British engineering, offers excellence in machining, welding, assembly and testing to world leaders across the medical, aerospace, nuclear and scientific sectors, to name a few, and is an accredited supplier to companies such as Siemens, Tallers and Varian Medical Systems. Kareem, though, started his first venture while at business school and from then followed a path in investment banking and held various board positions of private and public companies in Europe before going at it alone and and pursuing his own buy and build business strategy, which he will come on to talk about shortly. He's a recipient of multiple regional and national business awards and a seasoned speaker at major business schools and for business and manufacturing magazines. And Kareem is also a member of the Board of Advisors for the AI Forum, which is the leading independent research and information source for the worldwide artificial intelligence community. And in the little spare time that remains, Kareem actually races in motorsport, specifically in the Pro Tire Motorsport Jeanette GT5 Challenge. So just a fascinating guest for you in this episode. I hope you enjoy. And I started out by asking Kareem about Oxford Engineering and what it is that they do. Well, hi, Sam. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Uh, Oxford Engineering Group is one of the top 10 UK manufacturers for the last 55 years or so. We have been helping global leaders in high technology industries deliver their products on quality, uh, on time and, of course, on cost. We produce from raw materials, machined, welded, assembled, and fully tested parts. Some products are very small, but most are very complicated. Imagine the inside of an MRI scanner, uh, the moving couch that positions a patient about to receive cancer treatment, a nuclear transportation device, the D's of a particle therapy, a proton accelerator, think the CERN, Uh, or, for example, uh, chambers that make synthetic diamonds. So big companies like Siemens, Varian, Thales, Sheffield Forge Masters have trusted us for decades. 
what makes us unique is that we have a full array of the most advanced tools in all areas of the business. Whether you're thinking of completely unmanned machining down to shattering capabilities with hold points to manage depleted uranium. This has required years of data development and management. Wow. Okay. So incredibly in-depth, complex engineering processes there, Kareem. Um, and like you say, you've been you've been doing it for decades now. What I'm really interested in is is how you personally have have come to this point. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about um, how you've how you've made engineering your your business and how you've built the company from the start um, for for you personally. Could you talk to us a bit about that? Sure. Um, after my business school degree, I worked several years in investment banking. There, I learned to analyze, to think, to develop value for our customers. Each had a different set of requirements. So you would analyze the business, you will see what works, what doesn't work, and then propose solutions, advise them on their business plan and how to implement different strategies to the current strategy in order to improve that business. So it worked very well. Our customers were very happy and several customers offered me to join them and run the companies for them. So I started to realize that I was doing something right, mm -hmm. but I had no firsthand experience. So ultimately I made the move to work in industry uh, to gain firsthand experience. Uh, it was a group of companies mainly based in Germany and Switzerland with shareholding in the US. So it was quite complicated processes, many different plans, uh, doing uh, PCBs, printed circuit boards that were complicated at the time. So it gave me that final building block needed to have the courage to go at it alone and jump in the unknown. Um, so when I decided to do that, um, my first child was born, so I spent some time at home uh, with her and with my wife, which was really great. And I was analyzing businesses in the UK, not spe specifically manufacturing, all sorts of businesses. Mm. And I found that uh, manufacturing seemed a challenging yet achievable target. In comparison with German companies, the famous Mittelstand, uh, the Mittelstand is the heart of the German economy. And when you see, it accounts for the largest share of the economy. And all of these companies uh, are companies that are transferred through the family, through their children and so forth. Mm. And you look at the balance sheet and they're very strong. You look at the amount and the proportion of research and development is very strong. And the company looks great. And in terms of processes, because I didn't have all that cash available to do that, that, that cost millions, mm. I looked and studied the Toyota way by reading 17 books and visiting companies that were applying lean management philosophies. 17 books? Yes. Okay, um, wow. <laughs> you know, when you're passionate about something, uh, yeah. 17 books, it, 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 you can read them easily. Yeah. And, and the reason I chose Toyota was that after the Second World War, Japan having lost the war, Toyota was had no cash and yet okay, wanted yeah. to become one of the best automobile companies. Yeah. So it had to develop smart processes to eliminate all the waste, find solution that didn't require high investment. And I knew that whatever I had to do, uh, 
I needed to try to emulate the uh, German example by using Japanese techniques. And I found that the UK engineering manufacturing was very resourceful. So you could find a lot of solutions, but was not was lacking continuous improvement. So those solutions was not implemented and built upon. Uh, most companies had a very poor balance sheet. None of them had any cash on them. And most of them had old machinery as well. Mm. So I thought, hang on a second, let's try to buy a, an English plant, bring German discipline and Japanese processes. So I started writing a strategic map with the new methods and new technology that I could bring to the party. So once I was convinced that it was strategically something that 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 was good, sound, uh, I decided to go on a path of acquisition and consolidation. Okay. Um, and once I bought my first business, I then mapped my whole world by creating a war room and writing down every variable, every problem in order to define a roadmap. So when you think about it, you think about all the department commercially, how do we quote? Why do we quote? Are we making mistakes quoting? Are we choosing the right processes? Why do we have this process? Why do we use these tools? How do we make the choices of choosing a tool or choosing a machine or choosing to program offline or online? What tools do we use offline? I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. But the idea is when you map all of this, you have a visual uh, picture of your world and your problems. And one of the books that I read, The Goal by Goldratt, was like an awakening for me. It was basically talking about one thing and one thing only, bottlenecks. And it's true because if you have a bottleneck somewhere, you've already spent all the time uh, quoting and winning that work. You spend the money buying the raw materials. You transformed it halfway, and now it's blocked. Mm, wasted. It's blocked with something else where you've spent the same amount of time and money and investment to get to that point. Now, those two, two things are blocked at the same point, so you've invested a lot. So, therefore, when I had my world map, I said, okay, where do I have conflicts? Where do those conflicts actually happen at the same time? So therefore, if my programmer, for example, does not have the time to program, I should just tune my commercial team down and say, there's no point quoting. We don't want to win that work because if we win the work, we can't program. What other people do is that they promise the moon. They don't look at these interdependencies. They win the quote, they say, yes, we can deliver on Monday. Monday comes and they say, no, we had a problem with the machine, even though they didn't, and say next Monday or whatever, and, and then they deal with that. Yeah, okay, that's possible, but that's very wasteful. Mm. And you, so you look at these independencies at the, at the beginning of the timeline, if you like. So you talk about um, acquiring the first business and then mapping that roadmap on. That's something you do before you even get going? Is that something you sit down and, and highlight and go through and say, here's an independency, let, let, let's look at that? How does that well, process work? The reality is that when you acquire a company, you do what we call a due diligence. 
Yeah. So you go in and if the company is well organized, they have all sorts of folders for you and you can go through the accounts, you can go through the business plans and so forth. Um, you also walk through the company so you see how things are working. But you don't really understand, you don't see those things, right? You don't see whether the program is really programming a job that you should have programmed two weeks ago or not. You don't know that until you've made, you've made the jump. So uh, at one point you need to decide, you know, is the company doing well? Is it not doing well? If it's not doing well, do you see things that are obvious that you could change? Uh, so you need to appreciate the risk that you're taking prior to making that acquisition. Once you make that acquisition, then you start talking to the people. Once you talk to the people, you see this guy is overloaded and he's frustrated and uh, he can't do his job right. Most of the time he can't do his job right because someone's asking him and pushing him from pillar to post and so forth and everybody gets frustrated and then he does the program but then the machine is full so the program's useless uh, and, 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 and so there is a merry-go-round. Uh, mm. So it's very important to solve that but no, in, in, in reality you make that call, you buy the company and then you start delving in. Mm. It's not something that you can change overnight either because there are real problems. And if you stop quoting, for example, people might be worried that they'll have no work after tomorrow. Uh, if you don't stop quoting, you might have uh, disgruntled customers. How do you deal with them? Uh, and throughout the supply chain, you have those issues. You know, a lot of people don't have a dashboard for their suppliers. So they don't know who are the suppliers that deliver on time all the time, uh, on cost. Uh, who are the suppliers that have problems with certain parts, but not others. Uh, so, you know, you need to define certain tools. I mean, there are tools that we are using today that didn't exist when I started 20 years ago. Yeah. We're, using, we're using business intelligence tools that didn't exist uh, at the time. But at the time, I used to use Excel uh, and actually program on Excel to make sure that we have those calculations. I was always data-driven. Yeah. Always data-driven because opinions... Um, uh, are important, of course, uh, and they give you a clue as to the level of satisfaction of a customer or uh, an employee or something, but they don't give you a solution. Mm. That, that's really interesting. I think there's two things that maybe we'll come back to slightly later on, one being the people in the organization and, and the second you mentioned there being the new business technologies and and, and where that's going. The strategic element of that is is so fascinating for me, and I, th I think we could could get into all sorts on that. I wonder if just zooming out slightly and and looking at um, the vision that you set, particularly for Oxford Engineering, I, I'm really interested in this because um, the vision that you that you put out there and you talk about is to continuously strive um, for world class. And to me, world class is is a phrase that we we hear actually used quite a lot these days in different contexts, and um, you know it, it maybe doesn't always mean that it's behind it's it's perhaps slightly been been cheapened over time. But Oxford Engineering has many many accreditations, approvals. You supply high precision, high standard industries, like you said. You you're regularly getting no non-conformances and no recommendations on audits. You you seem to be living up to that world class tagline um i wondered if you could talk a bit about why you set that as the vision for oxford engineering why why was it world class why was it not something like um scale for example or, or price why was world class the vision you set 
So first of all, you're right, Sam. There are as many definitions of world class as people using them. Um, but you also know me and I've told you I believe in data. Therefore, mm -hmm. to me, world class needs to be based on Six Sigma. Six Sigma is a statistical process modeling in manufacturing. It defines how a non-conformance happened and therefore is a measure of standard deviation for a process that is con considered well controlled. So there is no argument about it. To me, world class is getting it right every time or most of the time. That mm -hmm. is to say, more than 99.9% .9 of the time. <laughs> so are we getting it right? What is it that we need to get right? What is it that the customer care? Quality, delivery, and cost. So therefore, my definition is that simple. 99.9% .9 of the time or more. Now, of course, it's far easier to achieve when you make one part a million times. Mm. In our low volume, high complexity reality is a very, very tough ask. And I must say, we don't achieve it. And that's why it is something that we need to aim for. And something that we may never achieve. Right now, we're working on a very complicated can't talk too much about it because there is there is confidentiality issue and secrecy issue around it. Uh, but we're developing prototypes. So the customer does also not know how to make something. And we don't know. And it's a trial and error situation. And we need to redesign and redesign and re-redesign. And it needs to go to several steps. So we know we're not going to achieve it on time. Because in order to achieve it on time, when you think about world class, I said, you need to look at a process that is considered well controlled. That's important. In other words, you know what you are doing. Then you can say, am I doing it right or wrong? Most of the things we do, we do know, not know yet how to do. So we need to develop them. So, and that's why I'm saying, uh, you know, it's, it's a very tough ask and it, it really depends what you are doing. Now, when we, I was talking about proton therapy, for example, where mm. we do the Ds in, in, in um, it's, those are very complicated parts where, you know, you have accelerators going, um, but we know how to do them. We will do them on quality every time. We will do them on time. Why? Because we devised machinery for us to be able to manage raw material that deforms with heat. So we, we develop tools and processes that no other suppliers have. Then we automated everything. So now we put it on, 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 on a machine and we put a zero point system that gives you an accuracy of three micron and it's fully repeatable and we walk away from the machine, it's unmanned. And therefore at that time you will achieve 99.9 .9 unless the machine falls apart. And if it falls apart, then we have already a secondary route on different machinery. So therefore, you'll still be there on time. Okay, so yeah. it, it, it is it is the way you approach things. But for us, it's very it, it is very complicated. So world class, it's true, is a philosophy of trying to be the best. I agree with that. But it needs to have a KPI, it needs to have a number. We can't just talk about it as if it was an emotion. It is not an emotion. 
Mm. How are you being the best? Well, if you have customers like us that stayed with us over 30 years, that are strategic, that don't go elsewhere, they are telling you, you are the best of what you're doing, or you're the fastest or the lowest cost. Mm. You yeah, know, I, when they're yeah, prepared yeah. To, to, to sign with you multi-million uh, multi pound agreements, they are telling you, you are worthy of a handshake. It implies that there is constant improvement for us in our people and processes to remain at the forefront and to provide the best choice for these customers. Yeah. So we use Six Sigma as an accuracy tool. We use Lean to cut the cost, to cut the time. So it goes hand in hand. But it's a and journey. It's a journey. Yeah. I was going to say it's, it's an ongoing ever-evolving yes. process in, yes. in in that sense so what was world class for you perhaps 10 years ago looks slightly different now and it might look for different sure. again for sure, because the customers time. if we do the 100 quality and 100 on time they then want a cheaper cost yeah they're always demanding they always keep us on our toes and for us, we need to ask, are we better than the competition? Are we better than the other options that they have? So you mentioned people earlier yeah. on and, and and how sometimes that can be a bottleneck or, or, or can produce issues. How do you then match what we've just been talking about in world-class and that constant evolution of world-class? How do you ensure that the people and the culture you have and the people you're bringing on as you, as you grow perpetuate that development and that, that evolution of, of world-class. And do you think actually that's made harder or perhaps easier by the fact that you're, you are in such a high precision, ever evolving industry? Is that right. an easier thing to roll out with your people or is, or is that a harder thing? Okay. So in simplistic words, what we're trying to do, we leverage people, we leverage technology, um, and so leveraging people first is challenging them and trusting them, encouraging them to fail and to try again. They should embrace a blame-free exploration into why certain best practices are not happening or are not working. We only ask that they have a systematic and disciplined approach, that they use certain tools so that we make sure that they consider everything so we develop those tools as a methods of problem solving it's a scientific approach um, so we used to uh, to create standard work as a way to agree this is the best way that we need to perform this work today if someone has a better idea it needs to be looked at if it's a better idea great that becomes a new standard work if it's not then thank you very much, and we try again. When we leverage technology, we do it for two things. We make the life of our employees a lot easier. For example, all our machines have zero-point systems, so now they don't need to clock every job and, and make sure that every job is precisely where it should be. There's tools that are helping them. They use the latest in programming software, for example, so it's a lot quicker to do it. Uh, they use uh, Vericut as a, a, um, a software that would overlay the program and mimic how the machine would work so they can see whether the program has any mistakes in them or not. And so there's many ways by which you can also help 
your employees work better and faster. So it's not just on the employees. It's not just on the machinery. It's not just on the software. We need to work as a smart manufacturing plant to be intelligent, to be able to orchestrate in real time, optimize our business processes, whether they're physical or digital, in the best way in real time. So we have, for example, TVs in our shop where you can see who is working on what live and mm-hmm. whether they have, and they're in, in, in the green and they're, they're well working within the given time or orange or red. And if the, it's red, it allows the operations director to go to them and speak to them. Something didn't go well. So we need to understand it in real time because that's when we know what is. So has the raw material not come in the right format? Has he had some issues that the right tools were not available? Was he waiting for the crane because someone else was using the crane and there was a bottleneck? Once we understand and record those issues, we can then see, okay, which is now the most present issue that we need to resolve. So by now we have a system that ranks the priorities. So we have a system ranking, how much does it cost us? How long is it to resolve? We multiply those numbers together. That gives us a, 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 a ranking number, and those are the things we try to tackle first. Mm. So it's a teamwork. It's, it's you're trying to optimize, but it is true that it's, you don't just let your, your, your employees just do whatever they want or how they want it. But most employees really want to do a good job. No yeah. one really wants to hide. We are like... Um, as long as you don't have a blame culture, imagine a football team. Have you ever seen a footballer wanting to hide? No. Do you see a football team where people are in difficulty? Yes. But what do they do as a team? They look at that weakness and see how can we help out? How can we eliminate it? You know, and, and that's what the manager does. And that's what I do. I don't hide my people. I don't hide my machine. I don't hide my processes. I don't hide anything. My customers, for example, when we have a problem, my customers know about it within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. We have problems. Every company has problems. We choose not to lie about it. We choose to say to our customers, when we have a problem, you will know within 24 hours. You will also know whether uh, it is within our supply chain or whether it is us, whether we have a solution or what we're putting in place. If we don't know, we open what we call an AD report that looks at everything that has touched this this uh, product so that we define where the problem lies and implement the solution. Mm. Our customers have problems of their own. So if you can establish that relationship where you are open and honest, you can push people. Of course you can push them and they push you. Yeah. It's a teamwork. You're you're on the football pitch. You know, you're not gonna have someone running like mad and everybody else watching him. It's just not gonna happen. So they push you to that oh, that's quite interesting. So you're you're facilitating this world class as best sure. as best you can. And you're saying, look, if if you're buying into this as as an employee, as a team member, we expect you to push back on us too and you to say this is what we need. This, these are the issues we have. If, if you're asking us to strive for this, then we're asking you um, to help us out with it. And we're saying, you know, this, this. So if if I'm an employee of you, I, I'm come, coming to you. I'm saying, I've got a bottleneck here, and and if you want me to achieve this this vision, we need to sort it out. 
quite right. When we when we talk about issues and 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 when we have our meetings, whether it's on the shop floor, the uh, cleaner will have the same voice as the managing director. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has a place to um, to issue whatever they have to say. We have a problem follow-up sheet where we will write down the issues. And and then, of course, they understand whether the issue is really important or not. You know, at the beginning, when we started this open problem follow-up board, you know, people saying, well, we need a, a helipad on, 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 on the parking <laughs> lot. That would be nice to come to work. So... Uh, so it was it wasn't good fun and good jest, but yes, of course you had ideas that were that were not implemented and that were not suitable. But would, I'd rather have more ideas and we flush out the ideas that are too expensive, not realistic, or or whatever, than people who are happy to work in a way that they don't see as optimal. Mm. And some people will be more inquisitive than others, and some people will be better. You know, we are not all perfect in all areas. You will have strong points in your character and your methods of working and weak points. And so will I. The point is, as a team, to understand where the weaknesses are, where the strong points are, and to make sure that we play best with the ball. Yeah. I think um, there's there's many similarities there with with what we try and build at White and Black and, and the culture we have here. And that's that really resonates with me. And I think it's... um. Personally, it's one of the the best cultures that I'd like to work in. But when you have that, there's still times for you as a leader that you will have to zoom out, surely, and you'll have to look at the bigger sure. picture. But maybe, and, and, maybe maybe we should have also mentioned the the, the, the mission statement that that we have. Yeah, uh, because I think that uh, that is far more important than. Um, than actually just the vision of being world class, even though you know we, we don't we don't achieve it. So um, you do have a set of different tools that all go in the same direction in order to change the way people perceive things or people do things. Mm-hmm. So our vision is to be a company worthy of high regard. And by the way, this mission statement is featured in the book by Timothy Foster, 101 Great Mission Statements, How the World's Leading Companies Run Their Businesses. Um, So it starts from that vision. And then you say, okay, how do you implement that vision? That vision doesn't have any numbers into it. What does it mean, high regard? Okay, what does it mean for customers? Well, it means they're going to give you strategic work year in, year out of high value. That's complicated to them, whether they have a problem. What does it mean to be high regard in terms of employees? It means they want to be proud to come here and work here and, and, and be part of this journey. So that is the first block, the first foundation. And then you say, OK, how going to measure it? Oh, it's striving for world class. And that's okay. how you have the building blocks of a strategic roadmap. And it's only in the end that you say, okay, well, if I look at it now, we have the best tools in the business. We have state-of-the-art facilities. We have the best machine tools that can run lights out, unmanned. We have the best software that any manufacturer in the UK or, or Europe has, certainly for our size, with secondary constraint. We have this, we have that. It, it fits in it. Mm. And that's why we've been called a jewel in the crown of British engineering by a previous Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. 
and actually another minister wanted to to come to to visit us um, uh, very recently, but it was it was the time of of of, um, of upheaval, shall we say, in okay. in the in the UK. So 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 that that didn't that didn't quite happen. Um, Okay. But no, that, that that is that is that is those are the reasons you you are building those blocks. You you need to, you can't just turn up one day and say I want to play like Barcelona, mm. and I have no money, I have no idea, I have no players, I have no manager. No, it's you're building a story, mm-hmm. and you need to believe in it, and you need to act on it. So when I did that, I, I also for I ask my people to train to do a lot of training. But I do training myself. I went back to school, even though I'm fully qualified and so forth. I went back to Cranfield University. I went back to Berkeley University. I do online courses. Uh, I have a black belt in, in Six Sigma. Uh, all of that I didn't have when I joined the company. So when I ask people to train, you know, I do the training myself. Mm. I did the fire training. I did. I did the first aid training. I did many different trainings. That actually, I never. We never had a, a fire. I did the fire drills at the company, but that's about it. Uh, but you do things also to show that it's important that you are part of it. I am not just smoking a cigar on top of an ivory tower. Sure. I will be on the shop floor with everybody else. Yeah. I You're don't have a reserved well. parking space for my car. Mm. I will park wherever there is a parking slot. And if it's mm. good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Mm. And vice versa. So you Can need you... to live by this story as well. Sure. Can you have... So so? I suppose what I'm thinking is you can have that culture, but are there also times when you have to say, actually, I think this is best for the company, but perhaps... The the opinions and, and, and thoughts of your management are opposed to that. And they're saying, we're not so sure. Are there still times w- within that culture and, and, and all of that aside that you actually have to say, no, I think this is I think this is best here and this is what we're going to do. And and I need you to, to come on board with me. Do, do you have do you have times of that? Uh, it is not often, but of course, because you you. At the end of the day, as I said, I'm the manager of a football team. And if I yeah. really believe that we, 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 we have to play in a different way. You need to change the formation. I, I, will try, I will try to to explain it. And I will tell them why I need to do it. And I will tell who needs to stay on the bench and who needs to play in a different formation. And, who needs to, and, and some of them will not like it. Some of them will think it's the wrong strategy. And push back, and you want them to push back if they feel it's the wrong idea. You don't want them to be quiet. You want them to push back. Did you, you talk a bit? Because find... I'm, I'm this. I, there's an example I think that you've had from you moved, and it might have been one customer, it might have been across the board. I'm not sure, but you moved from from batch production to single piece flow, and I think there were there are examples of what you've just been talking about where. Um, you you were thinking of trying to think of creative ways to to show this to your team and to show that, that, that this was the best way. Could you talk a bit about that? I think I'm right in saying that that happened. Yes, yes. Um, that is a huge change in 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 a company. It 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 goes to the heart of how you do things. Mm. So you need to look at the plant and processes. Are they available? Are they capable? Are they safe? You look at the cell processes. 
are they adding value? Are they flowing? Are they flexible? You look at the past, the products, you look at the people, are they involved, are they accountable, are they trained, uh, the business management, the financial management, and so forth. So it's a complete change. It's like, guys, now we're going to start talking a different language. Um, so yes, when we wanted to do that, we had a lot of opposition. And rightly so, when we went to the customer and said that's what we wanted, the customer pushed back and said to us, you know, we are making MRI scanners, we are number one worldwide, we cannot afford for you to fail on this, and then we don't, we, we, we can't deliver MRI scanners worldwide. It's just impossible. Uh, so yes, I, I had it, it was it was very difficult for me to explain the concept, but I was convinced of it. I was convinced that we could do things better, that we would have a lot less quality problems, that we would be able to deliver faster and at a cheaper cost. So remember, that's what we talked about before, quality mm. delivery and cost. How often do you think you have an idea that can actually leverage those three at the same time? Usually it's mm. quality at the expense of cost or, or something at the expense of something else. Uh, so I tried to explain it. And, and of course, I'd read a lot of books about it. I'd visited a lot of companies about it. And all of those companies were mostly in automotive. And, and, and of course, they're doing things differently and they do the same parts over and over again. So it's a lot easier to implement. Uh, so there, there were pushback from my management, which I fully understand. So I started thinking, how do I actually bring them to that realization. They're not going to read 20 books on the subject. Uh, and yes, we did uh, company visits, but every company is different. Like this is automotive or this is aerospace and always come back saying this is different. We are in high technology, low volume, very complex. Um, so therefore, I, I was actually driving um, and taking my daughter to a party, <laughs> a birthday party for one of her friends, and we were in Toys R Us, near us, and 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 we were going there and you know asking her what she wants to buy for her friends and so forth. And then I see the Legos, and I'm like, that's great. So I bought a huge number of packs of Legos. Like you know, I was the the biggest Lego freak. In, in in the shop, right? <laughs> I, I, I I I came back with the trolley's worth of Legos. Wow! And the next managed meeting, everyone had prepared all their slides, you know, finance and commercial and quality and so on. And I said, "Look, guys, we're not going to do that this time. We're going to play Legos." And on the left-hand side of the table, you're going to manufacture like we do, like everybody does. And on the right-hand table, we're going to do a one-piece flow, and I'm going to explain to you who's going to do what. And of course, I did do take a scenario where uh, within 10 minutes, I want something changed, right? Because customers also want things changed. So I said, well, from now on, you know, I don't want the big wheels. I want the small wheels on the on the little cars or whatever, you know. And if we were doing little planes, I said, yeah, I'd want red wings instead of blue wings, whatever. Um, and of course, a single fifth floor would win every time. And yes, it's not complex, it's, it's, it's Lego, but I wanted them to grasp the concept. Mm. But they still came back with the same idea, you know, we are high complex, low volume. So then I was 
I was at Tesco's and I was really, I spent quite some time in Tesco just watching how people were refilling the shelves and how people were scanning the products and how, you know, the products is automatically scanned and recognized and priced and reordered. And, and, and you just spent some time understanding this level of distribution. You think, look at it, look at the number of thousands and thousands of products that must be here. Some of them have a very short shelf life, like veg or, or, or me. Some are long ones, like a can of beans. Uh, and you look at that complexity, and then you look at the low volume, like the guy just refilling a few kilos of tomatoes on here, or a few, you know, and you look, this is really a high complex, low volume scenario. And look at how they're working. Mm. It's beautiful. The guy knows exactly that he needs to go to shelf and this aisle and this row. And they all know all the products. Like if if they had five products, if you go and you ask to a Tesco guy or another one, you could do that way through or anywhere, you know, where where's this product? He'll know. And they have thousands and thousands of products. And each one of the workers know all of the products Yeah, because they have a system. They know if it's fresh, if it's veg, if it's this, if it's that, it's there. Um. And I learned from that that we needed to become really a lot more agile. So, so then I bought a lot of paper, a lot of pens, and so forth. And as the next management meeting, I said we're going to write letters to our customers by hand. On the left hand side, you're going to do it the way we usually do it. On the right hand side, you're going to do one piece flow. So one writes the address, the other one writes the text, the other one writes the issue, and the other one does the envelope and sends it. And midway. I want to change something. And whoever done the batch manufacturing, all those those letters were wasted. And they had to restart from scratch. Mm. Whereas in the one piece flow, we had saved a huge amount of things because we hadn't touched, for example, the, the end address on the envelope. We hadn't touched the envelope yet. So we were still on, on writing the letters. So the loss was a lot less. So I would show them by different ways. And then I bought another game as well, which is like a catapult game. And then we do the same thing. But at one point, it was still always the same uh, response that I was getting. So at that point, yes, you've tried your best. You need to make a call. You either give up or you force it through. So at that point, yeah, I hired a, a great guy to be part of my board. Uh, so we had control of the board, control of the direction of the board as well. Uh, we brought in consultants to implement that work, to make sure that the work would be done in the right way. And they had experience of one piece flow. Uh, we had asked operation to make in advance quite a few of the paths that we would be changing. So in case we made a mistake, we could deliver from stock. So it cost a lot more to have high stocks and it's risky because if the customer wants to change something now you've built a lot of things that are not usable um and then you you, you implement it and then you say to your people guys i've tried my best to explain it to you now the train is leaving the station i'd love you to stay i'd love you to be part of the journey but this is where we're going mm-hmm you know, and no hard feeling if you want to go. If you think I'm going to wreck the company and you can't be part of it, then please say so. But don't don't stand on the sideline. That's what I'm mm. asking you. Either stay, roll your sleeves up, 
learn as you go, try your best. That's all I'm asking. Or go. But don't mm. don't make sure it's a failure. And and actually that year we implemented it. It was a huge success. Uh, we could make the part a lot cheaper, a lot quicker. We moved from a six-week delivery to a 24-hour slot delivery. Uh, our quality wow. improved drastically. Uh, we came became the number one supplier with that customer. And they came and actually when they when I presented it live. I had I had put alarms as well in the boardroom, in my office, in the main office, so that if anything would happen on the line, they would press a button and you had like uh, orange uh, alarms going on so that the whole management had to stop everything that they were doing yeah. and walk there and see the problem to sort it out. Whether they had a meeting, they had to just jump out of that meeting and come, whether a customer was there or not. And I did the presentation with the main customer where we did this one piece flow and this happened. So my customer thought I'd just made it up, but we didn't. We didn't even know how many problems we had. And if you remember at the beginning of the interview, I talked about British ingenuity. And it's true, they always found a solution, but they never resolved the problem. So that solution ultimately always cost us more time and more money and more effort and sometimes was prone to quality problems because the guy that implemented that solution sometimes goes on holiday, the other guy doesn't know about it and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and then I assured them that, that it wasn't all made up. They could see there was a real issue. They could see we would inform them within 24 hours and they were really happy. And that year we won two out of the three awards they gave to all suppliers. Wow. And we're talking about a global leader here. So we won the, the award for innovation and the award for excellence. Wow. Um, but it's, it's, it's a very complicated thing to implement. You know, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, uh, no, but, and, but it's not easy. But once you're convinced of something, you really need to analyze it. You really need to look into it. You really need to try it out and then you implement it. And then you bring people who've done it before to implement it. And that's, that strikes me as, as the right way and and the examples with the lego and the paper and doing what doing absolutely all that you can to to bring people on board with it as well but before the fact and before the change makes their lives easier it, it makes your life easier but but how often do you and, see and that to be honest and to be honest most of the management team afterwards came to mm. apologize to me and say to me this was a great idea and they're happy they were part of it mm. And which is great because nobody should hold any grudges. And, well, and, they, and, I, and I want them to push back. It's not that I don't want them. I do want them to push back. If they believe it's not right, say so. Be counted for. You will not, you know. And if it was a big mistake, it would have been on my shoulders. And I would have had to go back and apologize to our customer and to my management and say, I'm sorry, guys. I really messed up on this one. And and is that not being um, open? Is, is like that you make mistakes. And is is that I was going to say is that not testament to your culture and the culture you're trying to build? Where you know we spoke about it earlier, where people can come to you and, and disagree, and they can come and say, hmm. and 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 that to me suggests that that that's bang on, and and um and that culture exists and is is very much going in the right direction. Kareem, I'm I'm really conscious of time, um, and uh, and I had a few more questions, but. Um, I wonder if we could just just finish up briefly by sure. talking ab about um, about 
the future for you guys and and um and and what it looks like i think you know so many companies at the moment are in a state of flux so many industries are in a state of flux there's a huge rise of of new technologies the buzzwords of of ai and tech-based processes are, are flying around and that's only going to continue um but but what do you think this landscape means for oxford engineering is it more of the same um are you, are you preparing and thinking about the future are you taking it a week at a time and 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 adapting as you go what, what does it look like look sam let me let, let me tell you we have been in a fast changing world since the start of industrialization <laughs> when they started to invent automobile that changed the world they start putting on trains that change the travel and we talked at that time or i didn't but at that time they talked about a mobile <laughs> world and it was truly mobile because you you could go on foot or go on a horseback and and now you could have a car or a train never mind the planes never mind all of the industry that enabled us to move fast and a lot of people talk about the good old days and i say to them yeah, the good old days, live it, please. Don't use any electricity. Don't use your car. Don't use your TV or your iPhone. Go do your shopping on foot, you know, carrying your bags. And then you're going to talk to me about the good old days. When you have an <laughs> illness, don't go to the hospital. Just ask one of your family members who try to treat your ailments. And let's see the good old days, you know. Go live in the poorest country in the world because they're not yet developed, they're not at that stage, that will give you an idea how this country was a while ago. So then we can talk about the good old world. So world is completely changing. No one has a clue what the future will hold. The only clue that we have is that it's going to continue to change. Now, artificial intelligence is here. I'm sure it is the next big thing. You know, it's managing tons of data to make the right decision. Right. So and you talk about autonomous cars, for example, they have so many data points that they need to take in real time before that happens. Uh, so those processes cannot be managed easily by a human, you know, uh, so a human needs to learn to drive a car and still makes a lot of accidents and, and, and so forth. In our case, just for our scheduling purposes, for example, it cannot be made by, 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 by a, um, a person anymore. So even though he, 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 you give him all the time in the world, it's just too complicated. In our company, we have uh, around 10,000 processes at any point in time. So no one's going to be able to make those calculations with the interdependencies and, and, and so forth. So we were thinking about it very seriously. I did a course at Berkeley University. We won a national competition with Innovate UK. We started the KTP framework with the University of Manchester. It's pretty cool. It, it's, it's the type of thing that I like. Uh, mm. Are we going to fail? Maybe. Uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? But I'm convinced that we need a lot more firepower. So, you know, I do a bit of racing, uh, jump a yep. bit out of aeroplanes to empty my mind. It's kind of my Zen technique, but it teaches my brain to be on high alert to make critical, complicated, life-dependent, time-sensitive decisions. So I come back to work, I look at my risk, put it into perspective, it looks pretty easy then. Wow. Life is good. <laughs> <laughs>